0: Welcome to Collector's Corner, the premier digital art platform. We help collectors gain and maintain their edge, all while appreciating beautiful art. Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Collector's Corner. Uh, My name is P. You may know me online as at Aston Cloud. I am today uh, alone without my normal co-host, Jared. Uh, But I am with someone who I've been really, really excited to talk to for a while now, is uh, my friend Blockbird. You, well, he goes by Blockbird online. We'll let him tell you if he wants to tell you his real name. But uh, Blockbird is well known within the generative art community as having one of the best eyes out there and being an early collector who has really a fantastic collection. We were just talking about this before recording. And he is gracious enough to give us his time and share some of his wisdom and his journey and is calling in from Patagonia. So really uh living an interesting life these days so we we can talk about that more but how are you doing today Blockbird
1: yeah I'm doing really good thank you for having me it's great to be here
0: thank you for for coming I mean you and I've been chatting a few a little bit and ah, I just really enjoy meeting people like you this is this is like the best part of the gen art space and I'm not just saying this because we're clicking record it's just you have such a cool story you know you're into art, a photographer. You've sort of found your way into this world, and very much so. I think one of the the smartest people here in the Gen Art and the broader NFT world. um So excited to dive in, and maybe yeah, you, maybe you want to tell everybody what you're up to right now. I think it's kind of cool. You're on a, a bit of an adventure.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah, we are. But um we're in Ushuaia right now, which is in the the bottom of. Argentina, the bottom of South America. Um, we, I'm travelling with my with my family, my wife and two daughters. So we've got a three year old and a four month old now. She must be almost five months, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we flew into Santiago in Chile, and we bought a pickup truck, a like big Toyota Tundra, and we've been kind of driving, tiki touring down Chile and Argentina for the last. Two and a half months, I guess. Um, we're here for another week or two, and then we go back to Puerto Natales in Chile and take a four-night ferry with the with the truck back up towards Santiago, and then and then back to New Zealand for Christmas. So it's been amazing. It's it's super cool. Um, the geography, the landscape, uh, um, people here. It's just yeah, it's been awesome to travel through. So that, yeah, that's my that's my gig. The internet's been atrocious, so I've, I've struggled to. <laughs> connect properly but yeah otherwise incredible
0: well so it's it's amazing to hear you traveling first of all as as an american for two and a half months because we, we don't really seem to do that very often but in addition to that to be there with your daughter from one and a half months to now four months old and i believe when we talked before you were saying that your wife is also still working. Somewhat remotely during this time, or at least part time. You can. My apologies if I'm wrong about that. But I, yeah, I'm really curious. How has it been? How are you managing with such a, a young baby? It just for the listeners who might want to do something like this, maybe you are opening up possibilities for people.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. um Yeah, my wife is working to some degree as well. She's writing a book at the moment with her business partner. Um, which is just kind of insane, really. She, she's a bit of a, a work nut, um, and so she's yeah. Along with travel and trying to write this book and the kids, it's a lot. Um, we are traveling um, kind of slowly. We're, tra- we're trying to take our time, but it, it's super exasperating uh, a lot of the time. <laughs> it's just is what it is. Um, but no, I mean it's it's worth it. Our kind of our philosophy is you know if we could be at home. With the kids and things would be challenging a lot of the time anyway. Um, we before we had our first daughter, we were a bit worried that it was going to change our life a lot, and so we we set this goal of going on a big road trip um, once she was born, and we did that. We we flew into Alaska and bought a pickup truck there and drove to the Arctic Circle, and then slowly made our way down to LA and. And that was, I mean, it was challenging, but it was really fun. And so we we figured, let's do it again with a second daughter. And yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. It's like, it's can be kind of expensive. It can be kind of um, stressful, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, it's totally worth it. It's 100% worth it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there are always trade-offs to your point. It's not like sitting at home with a young newborn is is also a walk in the park. So. Uh, maybe marginally extra cost and inefficiencies for getting to go on an adventure. And I'm sure this is something you'll remember for the rest of your life. So uh, kudos to you for making it happen. And thank you for sharing it. I know that uh, when I am ready to do the same, I'm going to reach out to you for some tips on managing the logistics because, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And you are a photographer as well. You've been posting some amazing pictures from your travels down there. Maybe this is a good segue to talk about you coming into the art world, uh, especially this digital art, generative art world, and maybe how your prior background in the arts and photography, maybe you could touch on that and maybe how that influenced you towards this, this crazy world we're in right now.
1: Yeah, it's a good question, um, and I've I've never really kind of gone back and thought to to piece it out that well. I mean, I've been a I've been a passionate photographer just from a hobby perspective for a, a long time. I, I studied it in high school and have always had cameras on my travels. Um, and then in the over the last sort of ten fifteen years, my my wife has been working in humanitarian disaster response work. So we've we've lived in some really interesting places like like Kathmandu as we discussed before the podcast um and that's given me the opportunity to have have these really cool travel experiences which i can which i can document along the way so along with that i've always followed uh the photography world and and have a lot of favorite photographers whose work i own uh the books of and, and followed their work online so i have i guess i have quite a like developed aesthetic taste like personal preference in that sense um I've always had an eye for design and for art in general. You know, I visit a lot of art galleries and museums as we travel. I've never really been a huge physical art collector because just being so nomadic, I haven't really had anywhere to put it. And when I do buy it or when I do buy prints, I feel a little bit guilty even because the the work just sits rolled up in um, storage. And... I I mean one day for sure I'll I'll have a place to to put it we're we're working on developing and building in Queenstown in New Zealand at the moment but but at the moment I've, I feel kind of guilty about it so I haven't really done much collecting but I've always done a lot of appreciating um, and yeah I get, I think that the photography the sort of aesthetic tastes that I developed with photography definitely linked itself to to viewing other forms of art in this new nft explosion with a with a keen eye and and kind of knowing what i liked quite quickly i guess but yeah i mean it's all it's all a journey i'm i'm maybe trying to just join dots in retrospect there that don't actually
0: actually exist well as steve jobs famously said you you can't connect the dots looking forward and so uh, perhaps maybe it's not fully clear yet but Uh, It does seem to be that a lot of people that I respect as collectors have had some kind of an aesthetic taste or some uh, framework for which they're able to have a point of view around what they want to collect. But thinking about also just how you got into the whole collecting world and NFTs in general, what what was your journey in? Uh, I find people have either found their way in through tech, finance, or the arts. Uh, maybe you fell into one of those categories or something completely different, uh, but I'd love to hear how you even found yourself in the early art, digital art collecting space.
1: Yeah. So that was, um, that was quite accidental in a lot of ways. So I've, I've worked as a online entrepreneur for lack of a bit of a term for quite a long time now. I have um, uh, uh, I ran a search engine optimization agency for maybe five years um, and I've built a lot of different websites, kind of informational websites that made money from from advertising or from recommending different products so for example, I had a photography website, but I had a bunch of others as well and then in twenty seventeen got um pulled into the crypto world um thankfully, just slightly before that big hype cycle that happened so um I did fairly well during that period, but also I was um I was naively optimistic about the future of everything, and so as a as a true believer, I held all of the the tokens that I had from from nothing to very high, lofty prices, and then all the way back down again, which was a cool learning experience in retrospect, but maybe wasn't so fun at the time. Um, and then I stepped back a little bit in twenty eighteen as things really died down. Um it was a different world then in terms of a bear market because this bear market now, you, there's still a lot of cool stuff going on. Like things are really being built. There's a lot of activity. Whereas that, that in 2018, there really wasn't much left in the ashes. The, the ICO boom exploded and, and a lot of things just didn't work or didn't do anything. There's a lot of promises that that never got realised. So it was quite hard to remain interested um and so I stepped back out and went back to my other work for a couple of years and then came back in during DeFi summer 2020 the the whole yield farming craze which was pretty fun um, and then as that eased off I just sort of thought to myself you know I, I do really enjoy this space it's super interesting so let's kind of look around and see what else is going on and it was accidental that I kind of explore started exploring um art and generative art I I sort of I thought of it more as a um, a kind of guilty diversion where I should have been focusing on other things. And I just I found some of the early art block sets and just became obsessed with collecting pieces and and kind of exploring all of the the traits and the um, the different variations that were coming through. And so that was it was never done as a as an investment at that point I d I didn't really think that it had that kind of um explosive potential or or maybe I did, but over a much longer time horizon. And so um I was very surprised as things just went truly bananas into um into the summer of last year. That was that was a wild time. Um so yeah, that's kind of that's the journey that's how I how I got there. And then um I guess just to say a bit more I during that period um of summer, I realised that I could build quite a cool collection, sort of across a, a whole range of work. But that to do so, I need to sell some of the work that I had bought early on, and so I did that. I sort of bought and sold quite aggressively during that period to give myself the the capital to to buy the things that I wanted, and then and then following that kind of um, the the drawdown. End of last year, I just have sort of settled and have been selling less since then. I guess
0: well, that's amazing. And I was around in the 2017 period as well. Completely concur with you about the ecosystem and how it feels so much more vibrant now than it did during that last bear market. And we were talking a little bit about this offline. Part of it is certainly, I think, Discord and continuously being in communication. Do you remember when you first joined Discord and th- did that start, kick off a more of your collecting or were you already collecting stuff beforehand and Discord maybe just amplified it?
1: I was, I've was. i been in Discord for a long time because I was in a, um, a sort of community group um, that a friend of mine runs in 2017. So that was like Discord has been home in some senses for a long time um, having said that uh, you know I was maybe in on like three or four servers and certainly during 2018 2019 I was, I was barely active there um, I don't know how much of an impact that had it's a good question I mean it's it's absolutely evolved my social interaction in, in that world far beyond what it was before like you know as we were talking about reddit was reddit's a very much a passive interaction space or was with, with crypto back in 2017. And then Twitter also, like Twitter, I used to, I didn't tweet, I just um followed people and followed conversations um just kind of silently. Whereas now I feel like Twitter and Discord for me are much more interactive. Um mm-hmm. has it impacted the way that I've got brought into things? I think it probably has. I mean I think you, you end up in these conversations and people are more likely to just offhand mention something that they've been exploring and then that takes you down that that road. So I think, yeah, I think it must have facilitated a lot more of a deep investigation.
0: Yeah. My experience was it took it to the next level for me. And I like to understand these things even more than I like to invest in them. <laughs> I know that's a weird way of saying it, but first for me comes the curiosity. And then The willingness to put capital behind something. Uh, And I feel like on Discord, you can get answers to questions a lot more quickly than you could on Reddit or Twitter. And just being busy, it's nice to be able to get a quicker response. Perhaps that's part of it. I'm not entirely sure. And, And of course, there are social dynamics, which get you more excited about something and hyped about things that can amplify that side of things for me. So I do think it's a different user experience and I can't fully put my finger on it, but I find it definitely to be more compelling and interesting on Discord compared to a Twitter or Reddit alone. And uh, I spent a lot of my time in there now. So uh, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's amazing hearing how you thought through it and went through the journey and thinking about your collecting now I have been really excited to talk to you about okay what are you, where do you see the market right now how do you think see things going maybe we just take today uh, October 29th it's Saturday we're recording what what are your feelings on the market you're somebody who has a pulse on it or to the extent you feel like you have a pulse on it where do you think we are at the moment I mean last week or two we've seen big runs in gen art a lot of stuff around these uh, curated collections, the Ethereum has rallied off of sort of local lows. What, what are you feeling out there right now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think probably um, I won't give a very satisfactory answer because like as I've journeyed through this this space and all these experiences, I become less and less confident about my ability to predict over a uh, a decent time horizon partly because there's, there's just so many surprises that can that can be thrown up um and and just completely knock things in a the opposite direction than what you thought i mean in general like as you're aware the macro economic conditions look pretty nasty like it really it doesn't look great um for the next little while um i think that this recent ETH rally and just general rally overall is is a bit of a false um, pump potentially, and it, that things could certainly get worse. I mean, we still seem very correlated to the to the macro environment. Um, having said that, like you know, I macro is just such a crazy thing to try and get your head around. There's so many variables, and there's so many ways that things can change quickly. And for sure, there's a world where. You know, uh, a nation state has a currency collapse and decides to go hard on Bitcoin or something like that, and we see a, a decoupling and and crypto goes bananas. Um, I, I just don't know. I'm I really I struggle to guess on that front. Um, I mean, ETH, ETH is different now in, in the sense that it's you know since the the merge, it's um, much more deflationary. Like that could have an impact, perhaps. When I think about just the the art market in general, um, it just kind of comes and goes. Like there's been pockets of activity um, on and off throughout this entire period. And, of course, they're at different um, prices than they were last summer. Like it might be a long time before we ever get to that again. But I just kind of live, try to live in the moment with that. Like this is this is what the prices are right now this is what my cost basis is for this thing um and i see people selling work but most of the sales i see at the moment are just people who who often um are selling work just to free up capital to to commit to other things um you mentioned trill selling stuff he he often sells work to buy into into other projects. Um, and I've done the same recently. I mean, I have, I have some stuff listed, but I always have some stuff listed and I I happened to make a couple of sales the other day, but it was just because Danny was going on a shopping spree after selling those punks. So it wasn't, it wasn't a particularly, um, uh, of any kind of trend. I think it was just, just, um, you know, uh, uh kind of random occurrence in a way. Um, Yeah, I don't don't know. It's a a pretty bad answer in a lot of senses. I I think, like, overall, I'm a little bit pessimistic because of the macro situation, but I'm generally optimistic in the long term that there's going to be increased activity in the space because there's going to be new people who come in and get just as excited as we are about these new dynamics and the the new possibility here. So I just kind of think of it like that, like general long-term Optimism, enjoy the moment, and try to keep the keep the prices as they are right now as just what they are, and, and don't reflect and compare them with where they've been in the past. Um, for example, last summer because things just really were insane last summer.
0: Yeah, and I've learned this lesson back in 2017. I was, you know, I I also got in before things really took off and and started to understand what Ethereum was. And I remember buying Ethereum at $400. Uh, It ran up from 100 to 400 around the consensus conference back then. I think it was in April or May of 2017. And then it crashed. And obviously it crashed down to like $80 after the bear market. And now $400 looks like an amazing price. And, And yes, it's been five years, but, your point about the macro and some of these things i try to avoid that because i have zero advantage in in trying to understand that and just think a little bit more long term and that dovetails a little bit into a follow-up question you mentioned so we were talking earlier offline about how some big collectors trill has been selling some stuff jdh has been selling uh, squiggles I remember Tiger with Paws sold some squiggles back in March or April, who's a big collector there. What do you think is the mindset of collectors who are selling pieces that seem to be consensus, are really sort of like grail collections that could stand the test of time and and continue to appreciate in value? Meaning, I understand the concept of, okay, you want to be rotating out of things once you've made profits and always be able to essentially keep some liquidity. But why sell some of these projects that are perhaps considered to be really, really top notch, you know, or say even a project like Anti Cyclone, where a lot of people think, okay, this is the one I want to bet on because the price hasn't appreciated like crazy yet. And it could get to Fidenza levels someday or something along those lines. Uh, I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on that, whether for yourself or putting yourself in the shoes of some of these other collectors. Like, like, why sell really, really blue chip stuff?
1: Yeah, for sure, it's a good question, and I think it, it's a matter of perspective. So, there's, a, I mean, there's a thousand reasons why somebody might sell something, but if I was to guess, um, the most likely reasons are that they are like looking to rebalance so that, you know, they feel very heavy on one particular asset and it might be that it's generative art or it might even be a, a sub collection within generative art and they just want to move capital into to something else to, you know, I mean, it's it's possible to be very optimistic about the future of squiggles while, while still wanting to move some of your capital out of squiggles and put it into something else, um, just, just in case it doesn't pan out the way you thought, um, I think plenty of people, um, you know, the, they are doing other things in real life, perhaps like other investments or other businesses, and they might want to move capital to those. A lot of people get um, opportunities to invest in um, new things and need to free up capital for that. I mean, it, it is just by it being a bear market, it's a good time to invest in some very early stage stuff or some projects that you might find that are more or less undiscovered. And so it's, it's reasonable to do that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing here in terms of other people's perspectives, but that these, these statements certainly stand for myself. For example, I just sold an archetype um, in the last few days and archetypes are actually one of my favorite projects of, of all generative art um i just i i had five this one was my least favorite and i decided that it would be cool to have capital that i could free up to put into a couple of other things that i'm that i'm excited about um the near future that i think are very off radar um it's just that kind of uh, different approach i guess so i can I can simultaneously be super excited about archetypes and the future of archetypes in terms of their price while also being happy to sell one because I see a lot of opportunity elsewhere or I see personal opportunity you know like um like a, for example I'm doing a um we're developing a piece of land to build a house in in Queenstown at the moment um I'm I'm not selling art to fund that at the moment but I but I could be and I think it would be a very reasonable thing to be doing it you you know, you just you, you might have got a piece of art for a very low price, and it's just it's reasonable to um, take some of that some of that money off the table and put it into something else in your life. I don't think, I guess, broader point, I don't think it's necessarily bearish that people are selling work at this time. I think it's um, I think it's quite normal, and I think I've I've seen that throughout the last year and a half um, from a lot of different players at different times, and I don't see any kind of really abnormal activity at the moment.
0: Got it. No, that is a that's perfect answer. I think that it makes a lot of sense that people want to rotate capital into different places. And I think sometimes it's hard for, honestly, people like me to understand, It's like, well, why would you sell such a nice archetype? But to your point, well, if you're like, well, I have five of these, and this was not that you didn't like it, but this was maybe the the place where you could see yourself most easily going to get the capital to rotate into whatever else you may have, IRL or other collections, or maybe even, you mean in theory, you could be buying another archetype that you just like better. and Yeah,
1: exactly. That's, that's definitely on the cards. And then there's also the fact that, you know, like archetypes that I do love. So you might ask, why don't I sell something that I'm less excited about? And the thing that I'm less excited about Probably other too, and so there's less liquidity there. So sometimes you like if you do actually want to free up capital on a on a short time frame, you do have to sell something that is really quite appealing because you need others to be finding it appealing in a market where
0: where not much activity is taking place. Yeah, absolutely. So what if uh, what are the things that you are rotating capital into, or are there any? collections or anything that you're willing to highlight with with folks uh, and if you're not that's okay I, I completely understand as well but I'm curious if there's anything that's catching your eye these days or you could even be vague and talk about a general theme if you prefer
1: yeah of course um, yeah there's a couple of things that I, I I probably won't talk about yet because I'm I don't think I'm allowed to talk about them but that um, that doesn't mean there isn't stuff I can talk about so um, and and also, I guess I should add that it, having been traveling for the last um, couple of months with poor internet, I'm I'm less in the weeds than I used to be. Um, there's a, a
0: sorry to cut, sorry to cut you off, but I want to say I actually think that could be an advantage to some extent because you're not like uh, being whipsawed by the day to day of what's going on in, in yeah, perhaps maybe, an objective that, view.
1: Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's true. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good point. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a sort of um, meta-narrative, I guess, um, which is becoming more overt on Twitter, but hasn't really been, which is this sort of um, what are the coolest um, smart contract kind of friendly or smart contract native NFTs that where it's not just um, about work being kind of applied to the, the NFT concept, but work that actually um, does something unique with the NFT concept. That's um, that's something that people are thinking about a lot, um, the Terraforms. Um, and there's a few others there that I'm just drawing a, a blank on right now. I have a list somewhere. So I think that they're something to pay attention to. Um, I'm kind of excited about this, um, the Bright Moments Mexico City drops like there um there hasn't been a huge amount of activity on those mint passes but i think that that will be pretty exciting when they reveal it's only a couple of weeks away um, and there's um one set that i'm really excited about which is uh juan rodriguez garcia is um, someone who i've followed for a long time and i have some of his one of ones he hasn't released the a, a long form set but he will as part of the mexico city drop and i think the way that it works is if you own any one of the the mexico city mint passes that you'll be snapshotted to be able to mint some of his work so we're a set of a thousand um i'm excited for that because he 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 puts up new work almost daily on his twitter and it's it's really cool like and, and with a huge um variety of kind of uh expression but all still um fitting in with his his style like it's it's all recognizably his so i'm pretty excited to see what he comes up with there i think that's something that i would i would definitely um be sitting around waiting for when it when it drops um what else is there um we were talking earlier i love this project familiar the um these cute little PFP things. If, if you're interested in PFPs, I think that's an exciting thing to be a part of. I've, I think that has quite a bit of potential. It has a lot of the qualities that I look for in in those projects. Um, from an art perspective, I look at a lot of photography actually, um, although it's much more of a, a slow burner, that's where I spend quite a bit of time. There's some there's some pretty cool stuff coming in at the moment. There was a, um, a drop of Sebastio Salgado's work, um, two or three weeks back, which was, in my opinion, disastrously executed by Sotheby's. But it's maybe a story for another time. But the the result is that we have a bunch of Sebastian Sardà's work um, on the blockchain now, which is which is really cool. And his work is incredible. He's a photographer I've long admired. Um, there will be more of that coming available in the next week or so, I think, when they do part two of the disastrous drop. Um, so that's something I'm excited for. Um, yeah, nothing else is coming to mind. But if I, if I think of something as we talk, I'll, I'll definitely share it.
0: No, that this is awesome. I think that's there's a lot for me to pick your brain on from from this alone. Bright moments. Uh, so I, yes, you are correct about the a uh, thousand piece drop that everybody will get from Juan and. Of the Bright Moments artists, are there any that you are particularly interested in? I know they haven't all revealed or teased what their collections will look like, but in, in general, are there any that you are would like to highlight?
1: Um, yeah, good question. I, I suspect they're all going to be really cool. Um, uh, so Zach Lieberman is another one who I'm excited for because he hasn't done a, a long-form drop on on Ethereum at least i think he might have done something with Esker on.
0: yeah he Tezos, did it perhaps. was perhaps horizontes yeah. i believe it was
1: yeah that's the one yeah yep yeah. um but yeah he hasn't done one on ethereum he was set to do an uplock drop at one point but i think it was um a bit overwhelming as as the date approached and he decided to postpone it so so that'll be really cool to see what he comes up with he's also been tweeting a bunch of of really cool work so i'm excited for that um William Mapan, if I'm saying his name right, his will of course be cool because he's like quite the star at the moment. Um, and the, the new work that he's producing is phenomenal. Um, Snowfro is, is going to be exciting. Um, I'm not actually a huge um, squiggle guy, but I'm very much an appreciator of, of Snowfro. And I think that'll just be a lot of fun to see what he's come up with because he's had such a break between releasing work, you know. To, um, it's probably been almost two years, I guess. So I think that'll be cool. And that'll create a bit of a bit of excitement. Um, yes, Chris, also, that'll be really cool. I'm trying to think who else is on the list there, but I'm kind of excited about all of them, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I have a upon Mint Pass. I'm going to be there in person. I'm really, really excited for it. My first time doing an IRL art, anything. Uh, and Mupan is one of my favorite artists. I'm actually disappointed that he's so hyped because it makes it harder for me to collect his stuff, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, obviously true. very happy for him for that. Uh, and yeah, I, am really excited to see what that experience will look like. And uh, yeah, what, what all the art is. I think that'd be really cool to see in terms of PFPs, you were saying something earlier before we recorded that I thought was really insightful about PFPs and Finilier, and I'm sorry, I probably am mispronouncing it, but
1: I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I just I figured it was familiar like familiar, but
0: it probably <laughs> it be is
1: hilarious if so I'm jamming that up, but whatever.
0: <laughs> you're you're probably right. Like uh, what was that that Nike thing like artifact for the longest time I could never remember it until I realized that it's supposed to be saying artifact. And I was like oh, oh yeah. I was, I was like R T K F wait what? Sorry, I'm not the best person, yeah. <laughs> person who is. But yeah, so so you were talking about how you think that PFP projects, and tell me if I'm summarizing this correctly, but essentially PFP projects that lend themselves or sort of uh, nudge people towards forming sub-communities tend to do better. Is this uh, correct? Or, or maybe you can elaborate on on the sentiment that you had, which I thought was brilliant.
1: Yeah, sure. It, I mean, it's very much anecdotal. I don't, I don't have any data to back it up. It's just something I've kind of observed over time. But the, I think there's one of the facts that leads to PFP project success is the, the enthusiasm of the community. Um, and something that can really help with that is both like you said we've got um subcommunities like in familiarity you have these clans and there's many of them um and then there's the different blockchains that each one is involved with so you could have you can have quite a tight community of say 10 people or you could have a um a subcommunity of like 150 people or 200 people or something like that but i think that lends itself well to um to Community conversation and to people getting excited about being part of that that small group, but then also this one has um, the the trait divisibility is so good that you can your individual piece. If if you're only um, able to own one, you can really feel a sense of identity with that piece. It's like they they have a true unique quality to them, which is is really hard to do, and a lot of PFP projects miss this, so that you. You could have a PFP that, like, you you feel like its traits are, are roughly unique, but you could actually put 30 other of um, the same PFP near it, and they're, they're very um, visually similar and, and really difficult to kind of say, well, this is, this is truly mine, this is how I get recognised. And I think, just from what I've observed, that that can lead to a real strong loyalty within the community and a loyalty to the, the pieces that you own. I, I mean, I'm I'm guessing because I don't have. Um, it's hard to to concretely kind of look back on the success of these projects and see if if that was a, a significant contributor or not. But but I think that's there. And then I think Fenelius have this other acute the, the quality, and they have um, an innovative quality to them as well. In the sense that these the um, each piece will animate um, relative to the price fluctuations of the of the blockchain that the the pieces associated with um and then i have a lot of love and respect for the team behind it too i'm in no way affiliated with it by the way this sounds like i'm i'm shilling it but i guess i am i'm pumping my bags (laughs) um but i'm i'm just excited about what they've done in the past and i think that they're very like they're hard workers they're dedicated to to making something cool rather than just trying to cash grab so yeah, that's my little pitch for familiar if I'm even pronouncing it
0: correctly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to just avoid saying the the name, so continue to feel like I'm <laughs> yeah, mispronouncing that's a, it. That's a good strategy, actually. But yeah. I don't think you should feel like you're shilling your bags, and full disclosure for everyone listening, I own one of these as well. I think you and I are sitting here trying to understand what is the phenomenon or the details behind the phenomenon that we are seeing. And this phenomenon is seeing these little sub communities form around these pfps I, I tend to agree with you having a moonbird i had a mutant ape mf or 10000 is too much like you you can't really actively engage and meaningfully get that community experience with 10000 and whether or not these pfps have tried to they actively end up the, the crowd ends up splitting into different sub communities maybe a great example are 3d glasses punks or hoodie punks and obviously things like ape punks. But I don't think there was a, a lot of uh, intention of, you know, people are going to form subgroups around this. It's probably like, okay, here are these cool distinct characteristics so you can feel like what you own is unique. But I think they hit on something really brilliant. And this is a broader conversation that I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on. You're You're a very smart guy and like a deep thinker. I wonder if, these what we're really seeing here is the playbook for how to bootstrap a community get rolled out and i have a feeling that what you're touching on is part of the playbook in that you want to design these nfts to have these sub categorizations or traits if you will that more uh, that lead more or lend themselves more to sub communities forming within the the broader tribe if you will and one example that I want to bring up here is is gazers, and, and then I you know I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But the gazers community is really strong. I don't own any. I'm not sure if you do, but uh, some of there's three different backgrounds for gazers. There's the regular, then there's slate and aluminum, and communities have formed around those, and they have words. They they call people who have the slate gazers slasers, just as sort of like a mix of the two words. But it it just does seem like people really rally around these things. Whether it's a PFP or an an art NFT, I imagine the same thing hap- will happen with squiggles. You know, everyone who has a pipe squiggle like group up. It's not enough to have that in the metadata, clearly, but it does seem to facilitate that. And I don't know what do, what do you think about this, like actually being utility and not just something fun to drive engagement and price.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Gazes, I'm not actually super familiar with, so I, I wasn't aware of that, but I, I love that it has evolved that way. I guess it makes me think that for sure it needs to be in the metadata, but then I, I guess the culture has to be created along with it because there's there's plenty of examples where um, an art set, for example, has very distinct qualities, but I don't think that subcommunities communities have formed really at all. And that's probably the same with um, some PFPs, like. You know, like for example, hoodie punks is um, a very desirable trait. But I, I um, to as far as I'm aware, there's no like you know discord or chat or something with people who just own hoodie punks where they're all hanging out together. It seems to be something that needs to be kind of fostered and encouraged, perhaps by the founders or or by early community members. But I do agree that if it does get created, then that that sense of loyalty and enthusiasm and being part of that team is is a pretty strong um it's a pretty strong quality in terms of you 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 don't want to you're seen as abandoning your team if you if you sell your thing or if you jump ship you know and that that leads to some pretty strong staying power so i think i agree Um, i imagine that in five years time that this becomes a very refined art for people who are launching a new project where the, the, the architect during architecting, I'm not even saying that right. Never mind. Um, <laughs> designing the initial framework for your set so that you encourage this kind of, um, this pickup and community building will be, will be an art. There will be people who are like, um, who are sort of project t- trait architects, I guess because it will be so uh, important in terms of the development of your project. I think actually, I think Moonbirds did this really well. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't own any Moonbirds and I, I haven't really paid that much attention recently, but they seem to have done well in terms of um, fostering these little sub-communities. And I know um, pudgy penguins, perhaps that happened more organically, but that, that had the same, the same um, kind of culture-building quality to it as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you touched on another element that I think is really important that I believe will become a part of the the playbook of NFTs. When I say the playbook of NFTs, let me just back up one second. NFTs, in my opinion, are a tool. They're, they are a means to an end, whether that is community building or wh- whatever else you are trying to do with this group of humans. That's what the NFT is there for. I think in the case of cryptopunks the nft was essentially to show hey like you you are really digitally native and really innovative and in the forefront that, that to me is what that symbolizes when i see that and i see somebody has a punk i think oh okay this this person was was an og and or, or they bought in later for a high price but they recognize the importance of this movement and yeah i think that you you mentioned we, not to keep pumping finlair or finlair uh They have this something baked into their NFT, where as the real world changes, you you alluded to the fact. So, for people who don't know, each of these ten thousand PFPs is linked to a different chain. It could be Tezos, Ethereum, Bitcoin, whatever. And so, one of ten chains, and as the price of that chain changes relative to fiat. There, the character does something. Probably they'll be sad if it's down like a bunch, 10% a day or, or something. I, I don't know if the details of that have been re- revealed yet. But regardless, you, okay, so now now there's two elements to the playbook. One is can you construct your NFT such that it, it leads itself to sub community forming? And of course, you still have to do more work afterwards, but okay, can you do that? Number two, does this NFT have some ongoing interactivity, you know, or is it static, one and done? I think that people just start getting bored with static one and done things. Going back to Gazers, this is another thing that Gazers has done incredibly well. I think maybe not by design, perhaps by accident, but it makes it extremely engaging. These things change all the time. So uh, I know, Blockbird, you, you you should listen to our episode on Gazers. Honestly, it's a little bit long, but we bring in Vertau, who is uh, another Grailer, Proof member, big Gen Art fan. And he really breaks it down, a lot of the really key elements it, but without going to all the details the, the point is this piece of art with gazers is constantly changing every month with a new moon there's all sorts of different things that happen and i think that that keeps people engaged and keeps people interested in it which is important these days with so much so many attacks in our attention i was originally very interested in nfts because they seem to have some kind of captivating quality, and the question is, well, can you harness this to to do good or to do whatever you want? I've said this before, and I may have even told you, but I, I come from a healthcare background. Uh, I was a doctor, and I see all sorts of problems out there. And I, you know, art is amazing. Art is fun. These PFPs are interesting, but by far the most intriguing part of all of this to me is how can these tools be used to motivate people to do other things? You know, take care of their health better. Etc. I have many ideas in that space, so that 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 is really interesting to me. And having this conversation with you is opening up my mind about okay, yeah, these these traits. They you know some some collections, some PFPs really are more set up for that. And we, well, uh, I won't go into this. Actually, I I have maybe I'll come back to this. I have a question to you. I want to make one point. Uh, Screens by Thomas Peterson is one of the best. Uh, Generative art long form projects that is both highly regarded. And I think the metadata is set up extremely well in the sense that it it could really easily be collected around because there's a good spread of traits that all have a clear visual distinction when you sort of filter by them. And each of them are, are pretty well balanced. I don't know. I mean, some of it was certainly intentional, but it came out really, really well as opposed to some other collections, which are fantastic, say, like memories of Chi Lin, but in the metadata, there's only four different categories. And even then, like a couple of them, excuse me, one of them splotches doesn't make as much of a visual distinction. And so I I think it's just harder to form some of those subgroups, if you will, around memories, which was, I'm sure, not the purpose of the NFT. But in terms of longevity, in terms of that collection, continuing to stay interesting to people, I, I think others that might allow this subgroup formation would be better uh, uh, long ramble i have a follow-up question but i'll, I'll pause there to see if you have uh, any any thoughts any response to that
1: no that's a, that's actually a really interesting thought it gets me thinking too like i mean of course an artist may have you know zero interest in trying to foster this quality of of like sub-community formation when they make their work and that's absolutely fine there shouldn't be any obligation to but i can imagine a, a situation situation where um, that that possibility kind of informs the the setup of a project initially, which is interesting to think about like and then is that like that becomes part of the art, you know like I made this choice when I was designing the code that um, it would have these subgroups because I thought that that would lend itself well to sub-community formation later on and therefore like a more loyal following and more engagement through the future of the project um and that's actually going to impact the aesthetic of the project i think that's really interesting i think what i'm excited to see ongoing is is how um you know this whole world normalizes and this is just something that we do like projects are created both in art and and in collectible form and that we see more like native instances where people are building on top of what's already been done and you're getting more novel approaches and it's just crazy to imagine what we might see in three years time as being normal or as being popular will be quite different than what we expect i think it's not going to be a like linear continuation of what we have now that we're going to see strange things occur like that where an artist is actually um it, it, like they're the project they're creating is being formed informed by these other design decisions not necessarily the aesthetic that they want to produce or or just the the visual appeal that they want to have they're, they're also baking in how they want the project to evolve over time in terms of community participation and Um, the way that it's interacted with. I think that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. And it's already a little bit of a hybrid with the collectible world and art. I can't remember if you and I were talking about this the other day, or if I was speaking with someone else, but you go into an art gallery, there's no list of metadata saying, oh yeah, like 15% of these have spirals or whatever. Like This is already new behavior in the art world. And I think you make a really great point some artists will opt to take that to another level and consider okay what kind of a community might i want to build from that i think that could be really interesting to see and i think what will start happening is we will start thinking about these from an investment standpoint as distinct so everyone has somewhat of a checklist when they go and they invest in something the easy example would be the ICOs back in the day, right? Like, do they have a white paper, or do they have more <laughs> than that? Is is there a real team, or is there just a bunch of like you know fake people slapped on here with LinkedIn, whatever? Uh, and you know, was days, was the
1: advisor, the main advisor, were they a former VP at, at Walmart or
0: something? Yeah, <laughs> like exactly. Whatever it is, and I think what you and I are sort of scratching around the surface of is what are, is going to be the checklist before you decide that an NFT project, whether it's a PFP or an art project that intends to be more community oriented, what, what is that going to look like? And there's going to be other art projects like Fontana that recently released. I think there's only two categories in the metadata and there's nothing wrong with that, right? But but clearly this artist is not as interested or you know maybe there was something about the art that prevented them from doing it but this this collection is not meant to be sliced and diced 15 different ways so people can create sets of whatever or they're okay with that but you have to go and dig through the metadata and do it yourself rather than them them doing it ahead of time and perhaps that just yeah. being a separate category of of investment if you will
1: I think that's also like completely fine too, to like, you know, flip the bird at at collectors and their, their rarity trait hunting and just say, like, I'm creating something visually stunning here. I don't care how you, how you kind of chop it up and decide what's more important than what's a more important piece than another. Like maybe you should just do it based off, off aesthetic. I think that's, that's also a very reasonable
0: statement to make. A hundred percent. It's completely the artist's choice. And I don't think any of these are better or worse than others. I mean, we, we don't have rarity traits on one-of-ones. Nobody's sitting here complaining about it. I think that yeah, it doesn't exactly. quite make sense in a one-of-one one context. But in a collection contest context, it sort of does. So I, I think we'll see all sorts of stuff emerge. And what I see happening from the PFP community side is, so full full disclosure, Like we think about this at Collectors Corner. We think about, okay... Like, should we spin up a discord? How could we do this? And as you and I are talking about this, I realized that there are different like when you think about a tribe, a bunch of humans, different people have different uh, sort of uh, strengths and inclinations. Some people want to be the ones who go and explore. Some people want to probably forage. Some people want to hunt. Some people want to take care of like the kids while other people go and forage and hunt or whatever else. Kind of going back to a very like hunter-gatherer tribe analogy and when we think about collector's corner our goal here is to really be a a resource that organizes information and helps people collect well there are different skill sets there so you know we would want a group of the community to be the ones who are you know doing the back channeling over-the-counter deals figuring out you know how much things are selling for who's looking to sell blah 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 And then there's probably another group of people who like to look through all 500 outputs of Fontana or 400 or whatever, and you know take every token ID and say, okay, this one is this color background, and this one is that color background, and essentially build like a metadata repository. And then there are other people who probably want to snipe, and other people who probably want to think about the macro, and other people who want to find up and coming artists, and other people who want to find like the deals on the blue chips. And and as you can see, like there's all sorts of various tasks that come up. And if we were trying to build a community, I might say, okay, well, what are the various factions that I might want based on their actual, let's call it their their purpose or how they contribute to the broader tribe? And then how can I construct a PFP or some kind of an NFT that lends itself to sort of focusing people towards those different use cases? And then, I mean, I don't know if it would work, but now I'm literally thinking in real time with you here, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on that are, but it, it sort of seems like you could try to construct it that way so it, it makes sense end to end.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you definitely could. I mean, yeah, it's 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 exciting because it's just a whole playground of possibility. That's what I keep seeing. There's just there's opportunity in terms of, um, yeah, well, just opportunity on so many levels in terms of how you think about moving forward. Like, yeah, construction of community construction and design of like the the kind of space that you want to occupy and what you want to focus on like you say you can appeal to to different mindsets and different incentives um and then you have that as a whole nother layer in terms of designing um a a project specifically like or an artwork like artwork artwork project design is a it's a sort of crazy framing to me, but that, that will be a real, is a real thing and will become a, an ever-evolving thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, part of the reason I think about this, and this is this will be my last, like, super abstract, high-level question for you, but, I, yeah, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. We talk a lot about the meta in this space, whether it's whatever it is, you know, it, essentially, it's the the current hot thing that people are interested in and the implication is they're willing to pay a bunch of money for, right? Or invest in. Yeah. Yeah, Excuse Kobe me. has this great post on this, the,
1: the meta-narrative.
0: Yeah, the meta-narrative. And I think that when I, when I go back to the very originations where you see CryptoPunks taking off, you see Chromie Squiggles taking off, the, those were, there was something there that allowed them to get into the meta you know, you don't start in the meta, people notice you and it builds up and then you you become the meta. And I believe that any value, any financial value comes from some real utility in some way first. And once that happens, and once something becomes the meta, then you get kind of your scammy grifter type of stuff come up. That's normal. That's people trying to take advantage of the meta. But, but something always kicks it off that is real, that is real value. And well, I guess this is my take. I'm number one, curious if to see if you agree with that. And then curious to see here if you have any thoughts, at least in the gen art space, if you have felt anything that feels different, that feels like, you know, th- this is actually a better user experience or this is more utility. This This is different. And that's why I feel comfortable investing in it. Um less so because it's currently in the meta, but I could see this becoming the meta because of X, Y, or Z.
1: Yeah, great question. Um, so just just go back to your first part of that. I think like, I think my personal belief is even more um uh it's maybe a bit more like not nihilistic, but like a bit more uh it's even a step back from that. I think like I think things can gain value initially just from the, the hope of Something potentially being a quality to it, like I think this this mimetic evolution just seems crazy to me sometimes. Like people pile into an idea; um, it could be based around a quality that it already has, but it could be based around a quality that a distinct quality that they think it might have. But then it could also be based around like an ambiguous possibility of a quality. Like I'm I'm constantly amazed by how these how these ideas and these narratives form which is one of the reasons why it's so difficult to predict where the next one is coming from and to even understand or to to notice the the growth of it as it as it first begins i'm i'm constantly surprised by this um but that's a bit of a distraction um in terms of thinking about like what's new that's a bit different um again i feel like i haven't really been putting my ear to the ground as much as i as I would normally be, just with um, with travel, so nothing's nothing's jumping out at me right now. Let me let me think on that too. And if, yeah. if, it, if it pops in, I'll come back to it.
0: No worries. I'll 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 riff a little bit and and answer my own question. It'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, please, please go I, ahead. I'll I'll do the second one first. It was a bit of a trick question because I actually I haven't felt anything new recently. And so I, I I don't know yet what it's going to be in gen art. The The best thing I would say right now, or the closest I should say, is FX hash and the volume of projects coming out there and the experimentation that's going on over there. I find quite interesting and it's refreshing to be able to go and buy art for relatively cheap prices and focus just on the art part of it instead of worrying about oh, I'm spending too much. Am I ever going to see this money again? Type of a thing, and and I know, of course, not financial advice. Nobody is supposed to put in more than they're willing to lose. But come on, like let's be real. <laughs> I <think> the majority <laughs> of people are putting in more than they want to lose, and uh, they they can't help themselves, yeah. because it's fun. And and this is there is there's a, a somebody in Grayler's Dow who you know is comes from a different world, and I don't know, but I think is is quite wealthy. And has a lot of things they could be doing, you know, given that their time and their position. And they were mentioning that they spend 80% of their time on NFTs. And, and since they're in Grailers now, of course, it's primarily art NFTs. And I found that really, really intriguing that this person who has effectively could do anything they wanted with their life, given where they are in their position, um, is, is drawn into NFTs and these art NFTs. And I think that they're... When I go back to crypto punks, like what kicked off the PFP craze, I think the utility, what they touched on was a user experience of digital identity of, of you know, not necessarily exactly who you are, but being able to represent yourself in a way that felt representative. And and you see this even in the punks, right? Like everyone notices that the darker, color, darker skin colored ones are towards the bottom. I don't think that's because people are racist. I think it's just because there are just a lot more lighter skinned people in the space right now. And I imagine that will balance out. And it's not because they're racist again. It's, I mean, look, I'm Indian. I don't want a, a white skinned punk. Does that make me racist? No. It's, I, it, I just don't identify with it. And to me, that is where there's a jump in user experience that really kicked off the drive and value and the speculation for punks and for Chromey Squiggles, other than the fact they're original, but sort of this whole art blocks thing. I think that experience of putting in money not knowing what you're going to get and you could get the most beautiful out output of the collection that user experience i think is still unmatched in my mind and i think that really drove a lot of the value and then there's of course this broader art world which is well why are these things valuable i think people like looking at art and they always have and then, this is stunning art these are true artists this is not Hobbyists kind of doing stuff on the side. And I think being able to show that and display that to your friends and be like, "Look what I found. Like I found this, like I went on the treasure hunt and I found this. I think that is uh, a lot of the appeal as well that again, has has kicked off the the meta. I don't maybe the next meta is, you know, like we we're talking about, like you talked about the community formation. Maybe it's this ongoing, you know these contracts that are continuously updated in in some way that keeps it interesting and engaging. I, I'm not sure yet, but I sort of think that we'll we'll know it. We'll, we'll feel it. We'll know it when we feel it. It's almost like a user experience thing, which is why it's also so important to just play around with these things and try things out. Um, that that's kind of my 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 broader take on it and how I back into it. But I really think. I don't know there's something different here that everyone kind of feels who's in the space that I don't think you can just say is is purely speculation and and meta although of course like that that follows things uh Sorry, this was a long riff that, that probably didn't leave anything. No, you, no, no. Did you any it, thoughts it, on that?
1: great thoughts, yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think, yeah, I also, I mean, from where I stand, I don't see what it is, what the new thing is yet. Um, but like I said, I think it's also hard to pick up on. But one of the things that I think is a good indicator is, like you say, when you you kind of feel it, because it's something that you're innately excited about, aside from the fact that it could have, economic return or that other people are telling you to be excited about. It's something where you just, like I think of when I first discovered Art Blocks, it, it was just really enjoyable and interesting to go on this kind of treasure hunt for um, interesting aesthetic kind of um, emergent pieces and, and you know, finding like, oh, what's the the most rare trait of this particular set that I really like and I really like this palette as well. So how do how do all of these things intersect and i think the the exciting quality about that was this um like intersection of of like art from an aesthetic perspective collectibleness where you you're collecting something because it fits into um the the kind of broader framing of, of this set of work and these pieces within it and then also the the economic quality where you're like okay like if i buy this now, then I'm I'm managing to get this one at, for a price that's affordable to me. And once it's gone, then maybe there won't be other any others that I I could afford in the future. And then this other capacity that we have of like being able to share it with a with a large community and share it with our friends that you just you don't really have if you if you go to um, an art gallery or even you know collectibles like go and buy a baseball card or something like that. Like you're only really sharing that with a few people who are. Close in your life, and likely most of them don't even care. <laughs> Whereas w- within this community that we're in, you can buy something, and there are a hundred people out there who are super stoked that you got this thing that you really resonate with, and and they actually have feedback on it, and and it actually initiates conversation. So I think that all those qualities intersecting is what re- like really kicked off that that initial meta game. And I'm wondering like what if if they can be combined in a different way, or if it's some other new quality that's going to come in that. Um, leads into the next thing, like like you say, is it is there a more interactive um aspect to it, or like evolution over time, or some other it feels like it lends itself to some other kind of game like quality. There's all this talk of web 3 gaming, and I'm sure that we see that happen uh as well, but I feel like this environment lends itself well to some kind of other gamification, which is um makes for like a large like a more community coordination where like everybody is playing some kind of part on a daily basis to evolve something and I don't I don't know what that looks like or what form it takes but it feels like the environment is right for that
0: yeah absolutely I think that a lot of people I, I try to come back to as far back as I can go in terms of really evolutionary theory and say, what are the things that we as humans were naturally inclined to do? Um, Like when you, when we talk about these games, I'm like, why, why do people love these games so much? Certainly there's a community tribal aspect of it, but what are they really doing? And I think it's like the hero's journey. It's like, you know, going on the adventure and finding something cool that, that helps lift up your tribe. And I think that that's why we have such an exploratory. Not everybody, but a subset of people have an exploratory drive. they 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 want to be out like finding the new things. Uh, i'm not I'm not entirely sure. Uh, it, it's It's really interesting, but I try to draw lines back to way back, you know, tens of thousands of years because I do think ultimately all of our motivations come down to these these desires that existed a long time ago. And so it's sort of abstracting away the details and saying, okay, what what's really going on here?" Uh, and then turning it around and saying, okay, I want to push this type of behavior. How do I manifest that into the details of whatever medium I'm in art, games, PFP, et cetera. So um pr- probably getting too deep for, for a, a gen art podcast. and I, I, I don't want to cannibalize <laughs> uh, too whatever. much of your time, but. No, yeah. no,
1: I love it. I could talk, I could talk like this for hours. I, don't, I, don't, I know our it's listeners can cope with it, but that's fine.
0: I well, you know, and that's the thing, like, we have different types of episodes for a reason. We have people want to learn about a specific collection. We do do a deep dive on that. Um, I think talking to, to smart people like you is, is useful for anyone to listen to, uh, but certainly for folks who are more curious about why this is happening and, and what that could mean about the future. I, I think the people who are very, very future looking will naturally try to abstract away what's going on in the details, figure out what the principle is, and then try to apply it going forward which is what I see you and I talking about here for the last 30 minutes or so. And, uh, you know, I know that you are big into photography. I know that you've been involved with some DAOs. So, you know, number one, maybe this, some of this conversation, some of this thinking can be helpful to you as you think about what you're, you know, might be working on going forward. And in a related note, what, what are you potentially working on or what do you see yourself doing in the next six to 12 months in the space there's anything that you want to share with the listeners or even just chat about in general like kind of what you're you're going to keep collecting are you going to try to build something get more involved with some DAOs? i know you were before yeah what what's the future hold for you
1: yeah great question I don't think I have a, a single of the thoughts that I have. I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be continuously collecting because I just I find it very enjoyable. Um, like you said, it's like very exploratory. You're kind of off, like looking for um for the next interesting thing or for something that just really appeals to you personally, which you, you just you find joy in making that discovery. So I'll, I'll keep doing that for sure. Um, the Dow evolution for me has gone a little bit stale um, which is not to say that it's not evolving at a rapid rate it is it's just um, I've found a lot of the places where I've interacted it's it's still quite early in terms of finding a structure that really works where participation and incentives are all aligned well and the ability for committees or um, Sort of leaders to make decisions with authority and push things forward is is not quite there yet, or at least I, in the in the worlds that I'm exploring, it isn't quite there yet. I, I'm sure there are some DAOs that are doing it really well, and it, it definitely depends on what your what the motivation is. But I've I've lost a little bit of interest there, um, other than to just kind of observe from behind or from outside a little bit. Um, I do really want to um do something within the photography space like uh, build something a kind of grants type platform where um, um basically collecting collecting collectors together to help fund projects and in exchange um some of the work that's minted goes goes to those collectors but that it means that there's the the ability to um to have photographers be paid for their work where the work doesn't have particular mandates or particular like criteria that come with it so they're not they're not kind of beholden to the traditional publication that needs a story about x and it has to have these qualities and therefore you go off and do your work i would i would love to be able to fund photographers who are really talented to do work that is just pure personal expression and i think that there's there's hopefully a model to be created there where that could be applied to lots of different genres of photography but also art more broadly um i've had this idea for a while and i'm really struggling to bring it to life because of travel and other constraints i'm advising with some other stuff too and that kind of um has a more urgent take on my time um but that's something i would really like to get into otherwise i'm just going to kind of keep my ear to the ground and see how things evolve um see what interesting things pop up i like to kind of leave space for for new opportunities, so that yeah, um, I guess I feel like there's going to be interesting developments that happen in the next six to twelve months, and and there'll be something new where we're all like, oh wow, this will be amazing to explore, and I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that, whatever it is.
0: No, that that makes perfect sense, and and I hear you on the DAOs. I've had a similar experience as well. I think that as with many other things in the space, will continue to be experimented on and iterated on. And I really believe your approach here of having something you're interested in, but keeping your ear to the ground and continuing to just jump in and play around with things will pay off. I I really felt like we were talking about the 2017-2018 bear market when that started. I feel like if I had been in the space, the 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 interesting things happening would be obvious because you just try them out and you're like, oh, okay, this is clearly better. And those are also the things that end up leading to a financial return. So I think it's just about staying engaged and making the extra effort to go and try something out, even when maybe you feel lazy or it's kind of annoying because the UX isn't quite there yet, uh, at least the initial onboarding. So uh, and of course, I'm really excited to see what you do photography-wise. Have you thought about minting any of the pictures that you have and selling them as NFTs? Because they really are fabulous. And you know, for the folks listening, we'll, we'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes so people can take a look at them. But is that something you've considered?
1: Yeah, it's, it's something I've considered. I have actually done it too. Um, back in the middle of last year, I minted um, when the... Um, Taliban took over Afghanistan I minted a bunch of my photos from Afghanistan and sold them as a kind of fundraiser to um, raise money for an NGO called emergency who do um, frontline medical work in Afghanistan so so there's a few works from that. and then I did mint um, some other pieces too which are on foundation I think and maybe I sold a couple of those um, yeah yeah I did yeah I sold Two or three of those but i think i assume there's a bunch still there for sale i haven't it's funny that you asked that i haven't thought about that for a long time um i'm not super motivated to um mint more work at the moment because it's um it creates a kind of weird dynamic um for me and i'm not i'm not pointing this at anybody else at all but being a both a creator and a collector um it just makes my um, my online persona a bit um, fragmented in a way. Like I, I, in no sense, want to be trying to um, promote my own work while others have the motivation to um how do I put this to kind of for me to collect theirs as well I, I don't want there to ever be a, an exchange nature to collecting for me it's it makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm I'm very happy just creating my photography for myself at the moment too it's just sort of a like um documenting my journey and like I have aspirations to make some some books from the the work that I've taken over the years because I've I've been really fortunate I've been to so many places i think i've been to 90 something countries so i've, I've wow. been able to kind of um see the world from so many different angles you know and i feel like uh, it would be a cool exploration to turn that into book format and maybe somewhere in the future there's there's me mincing work and and having a collection and out there that i take more seriously but it just doesn't feel quite right at the moment so yeah but I, but I did do this yeah i did do these pieces for um this non and because it was like. Um, crazy times in NFT world, it was during summer, I was able to raise a lot of money. Um, I think it was like 30 grand for, for this nonprofit, which was so cool.
0: Wow. Well, well, we'll make sure to link to that as well. And uh, you, you might get a pump. We'll see. Uh, but either way, I think it's amazing. And <laughs> I <right>. think that <laughs> you are taking an approach that The pattern that i've seen with artists it it works really well and i know you're you're saying that you're not considering yourself an artist and not trying to put you in any categories but in general i've noticed that when people are really authentic to who they are and they're doing things because they want to do them not necessarily because they are trying to get a certain outcome in the market it tends to work much better and this applies both to the work that they do and also how they interact with folks who may collect their works so you know, there are people who are super bubbly, always talking to their communities. There are people who are more reserved and you know talk when they feel like it. I think as long as it's authentic, that's what matters, and you are really doing it for the right reasons. Which it sounds like you are with your photography. So uh, you know, if and when you are ready to release some stuff, definitely let us know. We'll we'll let folks know whether you come back on the podcast or do a weekly, or you know, we'll showcase highlight you in our weekly um you know we focus a lot on gen art but i want us to be about digital art in general it doesn't have to be generative it's just where we like to geek out the most and where we wanted to start because yeah it's, it's just a, just what we love but uh blockboard actually that, been... that's oh, a sorry, good go
1: little segue sorry to, sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. that's a good little segue into um there is a kind of like emergent um concept of generative photography at the moment which i think is really cool um Carlo van yeah. der who's a Kiwi guy, has has done a couple of things sort of investigating and experimenting with this, which, are, which is quite amazing. And then um, Dimitri Cherniak of, of Ringer's fame, is um, his latest project is in conjunction with the Lazo moholy estate, and he's doing 100 pieces, which is, I don't even actually exactly understand how it works, but it's generative photography, and that's going to... That's going to go to a Dutch auction. Uh, I think maybe it's of December. I forget, but th- that will be really exciting to watch. So th- there's there's something there's something happening there, which is a a confluence of photography and, and generative art,
0: which I'm quite excited about. That is amazing. Please let let's make sure to link that one in the show notes. I've been waiting for something like this, so I'm really glad you you brought that up. I think the generative concept is one it's not blockchain native but it it can be become sorry it can be blockchain native depending on how you apply it and yeah i i've been i'm excited to you know be talking to you as well because i've been really interested in where the photography photography space will go and when we sort of have that aha user experience that makes the web3 photography world feel really distinct and maybe it's already happened, and I haven't realized it yet because I'm not paying as much attention. But I, I think it'll happen across every vertical, and the, it'll answer the question of why does Web three make this better? Music, it's happened for art, uh, NFTs, etc. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, photography, etc. Yeah, well, yeah, I it,
1: agree. I think it's not quite there with photography yet, but there's I'm seeing glimpses of it all over, kind of in the in the background and off to the side. So I'm excited for that too
0: yeah fantastic well, well blockbird you've been super generous with your time i really appreciate you coming on and i wanted to ask uh, where can folks find you uh, if you want them to find you and uh yeah is there any other parting thoughts you might have
1: um yeah sure just find me on twitter it's at underscore blockbird um uh, i'm on there most of the time. Um, Cutting thoughts. Nothing. I want to convey that I'm like super uh, excited and bullish for lack of a better word on everything that's evolving at the moment. Like, um, if it if it seems if the market seems quiet to you and um, maybe it's difficult to to stick with it, I I highly recommend just staying the course because I think things will just continue to evolve and there's going to be a huge amount of opportunity in the in the next year two or three. Um, and we're going to see a lot of, as we've alluded to, a lot of new kind of novel concepts pop up, and new novel breakthroughs and things, which I think are going to be a lot of fun to to be involved with. So yeah, I just I just want to everyone I'm talking to is excited as well. Like the the future looks bright, so that's uh, that's something I want to get across.
0: Well, I I appreciate that. That's a great message. I agree. I'm excited. You're excited. To anyone listening, you should be excited too. And thank you for tuning in. We will try to get Blockbird here again. Uh, I'm at, sorry, we are at collectors underscore XYZ. And uh, until next time, thanks, friends.